As you entered the sanctuary this morning, you may have noticed the table here at the front. It's reserved to honor our comrades in arms. The table is set for one to represent Americans still missing and those who gave all from each of the five services, the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, and the Coast Guard. The table is round to show our everlasting concern for our missing men and women. The tablecloth is white, symbolizing the purity of their motives while answering the call to duty. The single red rose displayed in the vase reminds us of the life of each of them and their loved ones and friends of these Americans who kept the faith and remember their sacrifice. The vase is tied with a red ribbon, the symbol of our continuing determination to account for our missing and honor those who have served. A slice of lemon on the plate is to remind us of the bitter fate of those captured or missing in a foreign land and the pain of each family who gave a son or a daughter or a spouse to serve to our nation. There is salt upon the plate, symbolic of the family's tears as they wait and as they grieve. The glass is inverted. They cannot toast with us today. Remember, the chair is empty. They are not here. Remember, missing from the table today is Paul Jebet Atim. He was a citizen of Uganda and was awarded his U.S. citizenship at his funeral. He served with the 3rd Battalion, 10th Mountain. He was killed by an IED while on foot patrol in Afghanistan. His wife, Casey, is not able to be with us here today, but she is part of our community. And so, therefore, we remember. This ceremony symbolizes that many only join us in spirit on this Veterans Day. Most of our veterans with us this morning were very young when they were sent into combat. However, all Americans should never forget the brave men and women who answered our nation's call to service and served the cause of freedom in a special way. At this time, I would like to ask all our veterans to stand with me and join Colonel Clyde Dutton, United States Army retired, as he renders honors and prays for our nation and the families who grieve this day. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today thanking you for this great nation of ours. We just ask you to give us a special blessing this day. Lord, we, we thank you for the veterans that are here today. We honor them for their duty, for their sacrifices through the years, Lord. We honor all veterans today. Lord, and shall we never forget those have, that have given the ultimate price, have paid the ultimate price, given their lives so that we may be free, so that may, we may live in this great country of ours. Dear Lord, we just ask you to be with the families of those that's lost loved ones in the military, Lord. Just bless them, comfort them, wrap your loving arms around them and give, him, give them peace to know that they did their best and for a worthy cause. Lord, again, we just ask you to bless this nation of ours. God bless America. And as always, we give you all the 
honor and the glory and the praise. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. At times, I get conflicted. Conflicted over our love for nation and how it fits in the confines of the church. But I'm reminded as I look at that of the sacrificial love that is demonstrated in our love for our nation, but also in the love that we have for God and his love for us. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Last Sunday, Chris spoke to us about sacrificial giving, and he did a fantastic job, and I hope you got the five points that he had. Okay, five of them. I'm only going to do three. Okay. But he spoke of sacrificial love, uh, sacrificial giving. This morning we're going to look at sacrificial love. And since our TVs are missing, I have to look at the screen, okay, to know what we're doing. As we talk about sacrificial love, we realize that sacrificial love looks beyond the obvious, beyond the physical. We showed those slides a few minutes ago. I hope you saw the differences, okay? There was a few of them. Some of us have changed drastically physically. And you know, that is the obvious that we look at. When we look at someone, we look at how they appeal to us. They look, we look at their condition. I love to go to the mall and sit down and watch people. I realized many, many years ago that there are very, very few beautiful people. I wonder why there was all these, you know, why we made a fuss. And I realized there is a reason to make a fuss over beautiful people because there's so few of them. And so we have to look at that in our own self. And I realized that even Peter, when you turn to 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 3 through 4, he says to the women, and particularly to wives, he says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. He's talking to them about that beauty is sometimes hidden away, that it's sometimes not that obvious. And as we looked on the slides, we realized that many of us get older. And as we get older, we lose our hair, we gain some weight. You know, whatever beauty we had soon begins to disappear. And we wonder where it's gone. And growing old, I find, is not fun, okay? I have found out it is not fun. My wife bought me a new pill box, you know? I had a little slim pill box that had, you know, some vitamins in it and a, a baby aspirin every day. And now she got me this big five-day, uh, seven-day, you know, morning, noon, night, and evening time. And the bad part about it is I'm filling it up. You know, it's almost like going to the drugstore on Friday. Here I'm sitting, putting pills in every single one of those slots. Getting old is not fun. And many times that is the obvious that we look at. We look at people and we make value judgments on it, on the way that they look. And God says that sacrificial love looks beyond the obvious, looks beyond the natural, looks beyond the physical that we have, and many times we as a society make value judgments on the way people look. 
and whether they are deformed or whether they have a birthmark or, or some kind of scar in their life, we make a value judgment on it. But Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, verse 27 and 28, he says, you can be deceived by that outward appearance. Woe to you, teachers of the law and um, Pharisees. He calls them, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are filled of dead man's bones, everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to men, uh, to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is saying, you know, this outward appearance is not all that it's racked up to be. This thing called beauty is great, and it's great to have pictures and to be able to look upon it, but it's not what is important. Because you see, the sacrificial love looks beyond that physical and looks beyond the emotional. You know, we as a people many times are hurt very, very deep. And those emotions that are within us are scarring us. Those negative, ad, uh, those negative attitudes that seem to manifest themselves, those that manifest and those that utilize that sacred love seem to look beyond that. They, beyond, they go beyond that to see the inward self of people. It looks beyond our faults and our failures. You know, our life many times can be filled with those failures. Those addictions, those broken lives. Isn't it great that God doesn't judge us in the sense that he puts value on that which is within us? That that broken life and those scars, those betrayals are so real in our life that it hurts so deep that Jesus is able to see beyond that. Jesus came to, he was traveling through Samaria and he came to a well and he sent his disciples in to get some food. And as he sat there, he knew that people would come and draw water and there in the heat of the day, a woman came to draw water, and he asked water from her. She goes, you know, why would you sit at a well and not have something to get the water out? He says, I offer you living water. And he asked her about her husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, oh, you, spook, you speak the truth because you've had five husbands. He was able in the heat of the day to meet with a woman that was an outcast, a woman that had made mistakes, a woman that may have had the scars of failure in her life, the pain of going through those divorces, the pain of being an outcast in that society. And Jesus, the God of all, the, the one, the lover of our souls, was able to look beyond the facade, beyond what she presented, and to see her soul, to see her who she was, and to reach out to her and love her for where she was in her life, even in the failures that are there. Sacrificial love looks beyond that and finds the beauty, the beauty that is hidden away, the beauty that is filled with compassion. There in Luke, the seventh chapter, verse 11, Jesus is wandering and he's moving through the countryside and he comes to a city and he walks with his disciples in a large crowd and as he enters the city gates, 
there comes a funeral procession. And in that funeral procession is a young, is a lady who is a widow who has lost her only son. And Jesus looks upon that procession and looks at this woman and asks her not to weep, to quit crying. And he reaches out and he touches the young man and he comes to life. Sacrificial love is filled with compassion and is filled with a desire to touch the lives of those in pain. Sacrificial love is a river of value and worth. When God sees us, he sees his creation. And when we look upon men and women, we ought to see the creation of God. We ought to see the handiwork of God. We ought to see the worth and the value of every man and every woman. Because they are God's creations. They are the object of his love. They are the reason that he sent his son. And many times we look upon them and we judge them. But you see, sacrificial love not only looks beyond the obvious, but it seeks the best. It seeks the best because it focuses outwardly. We live in a culture that focuses inward, do, do we not? We are a, a community and we are a culture that says, it's for me. I want to get something. We see it in the recent election, do we not? Give me. What are you doing for me? What can you give me to sustain me, to help me, to make me feel better? Are my needs being met? If my needs are not being met, then I'm going to run away. I'm not going to stay married to you if you don't meet my needs. My needs are number one. They are preeminent. They are the center of my being. It is the culture that we live in. It is what we teach our children. It is what we make commercials on television about. It is all about me. And sacrificial love looks out beyond that. Sacrificial love says it's not about me. It's about you. It's about those that are around me. It's about those that are in need. And he says in Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse two, he says, carry each other's burdens. And this way you will fulfill the law of the land. We need to look and sense the needs that are around us. I'm reminded of that mother whose whole day is wrapped around getting the kids up, getting them fed, getting them dressed, getting them to school, picking them up getting them to baseball, getting them to dance, getting food on the table for supper, getting them their homework done, getting them ready for bed, playing with them, talking with them, encouraging them, nurturing them, always doing it, and sensing at the end of the day, and sensing at the end of the week, and sensing at the end of the year, they have nothing of their own. It is all in their kids. It is all in their children. Many times that hurts because they want their place. And when I look at sacrificial love, it is the love of those mothers that want the very best for them. It is those that desire the very best but also want them to have that which is first. At any cost, it's Christmas time. And what we want in that avenue of sacrificial love is to be able to give our spouse what they want most, a car, right? It's 
Have it in the driveway. It's got to have three letters to it, okay? Not Kia, okay? <laughs> nothing wrong with Kias, okay? Nothing wrong with Kias. But the B, the B words, you know, they work good in that little round thing. But we want the best, do we not? We want the best for those that we love. And we seek to give them the best, the desires of their heart. But you see, that focus outward is not only upon doing what is best for others. It is that life of humility, which doesn't need to be first in line. Have you been to the school and watched the first, second, and third graders lining up? Teachers, what do they do? I want to be first. Okay? I want to be first. And if I've got to push you out of the way, I'm going to be first. I am going to do whatever is necessary to be number one in the line to lead people wherever they're going. But you see, that sense of being number one is not only with our elementary kids, it's also with us on the road. Have you ever seen those that are driving to be number one? You know, they're cutting you off, they're weaving in traffic, they're doing everything they can because they have got to be the first person to wherever they're going. And they will do whatever is necessary. But God calls us, that, calls us into that life of humility where we don't have to put down other people to feel good about ourselves. It is a life of giving and focusing outward. It is a life focused on the heavenly. God's will, not mine. Jesus even prayed that, did he not? When he said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we talk about the will of God, many times we get into conflict. Because the will of God conflicts with what we want to do. Because we're still living in that me culture. We're still living in that me generation in which it all has to be about me. And Jesus, through Christ, Jesus tells us that it ought to be about the will of God. What is the will of God for my life and for your life? What is the will of God for this church? What is the will of God for the church in general? And we ought to be able to understand that and articulate that. He says that it's also the will of God is the key to heaven. Matthew, the 7th chapter, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That makes it pretty important to figure out what the will of God is, doesn't it? If the only way you're going to get to heaven is to do the will of God, then it becomes imperative for us to find out what that is. Could you sit down right now and write out what is the will of God for your life? I know one element of the will of God. One element is that all men and women, children, all humanity come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That men everywhere and women everywhere come to the understanding that Jesus loves you. And that he gave his son to die for you. And that that sacrifice, that supreme sacrifice, provides us the will to serve him. It is the will of God that all men be saved. But notice also in Romans the 12, chapter verse 2, he talked about God's perfect will. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You can't find the will of God on your own. Okay? What did he say there? He says your mind has to be transformed. The power of God, the spirit of God has got to come into your life and convict you that you are a sinner. He has to transform our minds so that we see God as he truly is. He has to transform our minds so that we can see us as we truly are. Because when we look at ourselves, we go, hmm, not bad. Okay, not bad. I don't beat my wife. I pay my bills. I try to be kind to others. I'm not a bad person, contrary to what other people say. I'm a good person. But you see, if you're going to know the will of God, God has got to transform your mind so that you see yourself as God sees you. In need of a Savior. In need of his love. In need of his forgiveness. And as my mind is transformed, what did he say? Once I've been transformed, I'm able to find the will of God. People are out here. I've, I've been talking to some people and I say, I believe in miracles. I do believe in miracles. I believe God is doing miracles today. I believe God can change our lives by his miraculous hand. But ladies and gentlemen, mir miracles come by what? By obeying God. Remember the general in the Old Testament who had the uh, leprosy? And he came down and he saw the prophet of God. And the prophet of God said, I want you to go to the Jordan River. And I want to dunk yourself seven times in the dirty, dirty Jordan River. And the general said, are you kidding me? I'm a general. I don't have to go do this. And why do I have to go seven times? Why can't I just go once? He said seven times. And the general went down to the water and he dipped himself in one time and he came up and nothing happened. He went the second time and nothing happened. And the third time and nothing happened. And the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. And on the seventh time he came up healed. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not going to obey God, we're not going to see the miracle of God working in our lives. We've got to obey from number one, not wait and want our will. You know, that's the problem. We want a miracle on our timetable. We want a miracle fitting our needs and our wants. And God says, do what I've asked you to do. Be obedient to my word. Submit yourself unto me. Submit yourself as God has commanded. And obey me and walk in my will. And God will give us a miracle. I believe it. I believe it with every ounce within me. And people come to me and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Start with God. And go where God leads you. Follow his direction. Obey his commandments. Submit unto him. And what does it say he will do? He will reveal his good and pleasing and perfect will. A lot of us are living in the permissive will of God. God's permitted us to do things. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in the permissive will of God? 
you have cried to God and you wanted it and you wanted it and you wanted it. You were just like that little kid. Oh, Daddy, please. Oh, Daddy, please. I have a little thing on, the, on Homer Simpson. And the kid is sitting there, can I, can I, can I, can I? And poor Homer's going, no, no, no. And poor, you know, Brad, he's just going, can I, can I, can I? And God said, you know, and Homer finally goes, okay, do it. Sometimes that's the way we are with God. We plead and we plead, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And he says, oh, just go ahead and do it. And we do it and we go, oh, man, this is terrible. How did I get myself here? You love her. Oh, you love her. She's beautiful. She's the greatest thing in the whole wide world. You can't live without her. I'm talking to you guys. Can't live without her. She is just the best. God, I got to marry her. I got to marry her. She's the gift. She's everything. She fills all my needs. And if God's not in it, you're going to live in Hades. Okay? You can look up Hades. It'll tell you where it's at. You got to be and you got to marry the one God wants you to marry. It's got to be God's choice, not yours. But sometimes we do what, guys? We do it. I hear you, God. I hear you. I know what you're saying. But God, you just don't understand. She's so beautiful. I got to have her. God says, no. We do it anyway. You want to have a miracle? Find the will of God. Be in the will of God. Sacrificial love finds the will of God. Notice also that sacrificial love is described for us in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Now, you, we've all read that. At every wedding, we, we read it over and over again. But that passage of scripture is not talking about eros, it's talking about agape. It's talking about God's love. He's talking about his sacrificial love. He's talking about that which we strive for and want in our lives. That only comes by the power of God living within us. How in the world can love is patient, is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of my wrongs. Are you kidding me? All you married men and women, in your iPod somewhere, there's this list. Ah, she didn't have supper done on the right time. And she knows I hate broccoli. Why in the world does she cook broccoli when she knows I stinks up the house? I can't get over it. And we keep this list. We keep this list and we put it in the shoebox. And we take it to our secret closet. And we put it in that secret closet. And it stays there. And it ferments. And it begins to stink. And all of a sudden, she says something wrong. She attacks us. And what do we do? We walk right over to that closet. We open the door and we start throwing these boxes of hurts, of pain, of rejection. And we hurl it as weapons 
1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, is talking about God's love that keeps no record. You're not going to find that in those boxes. It's loving and kind. It's patient. But notice third, sacrificial love comes with a price. It comes with a price. It's expensive. It costs our lives, our future. When that soldier on that field falls on that grenade and gives up his life for his platoon, he does that at great expense. He may never marry. He may never have children. He may never have the potential of whatever was in his life. All those skills, all those talents, all those blessings that were his are gone. It's expensive. It cost us our future. And so therefore we honor them and we remember them. We remember that sacrifice. We remember that sacrificial love. 138 Alabama servicemen and women have died in combat since 9-11. The youngest to die in this war on terrorism in Alabama was 18 years of age. 18 years of age. is never going to see what it feels like to have gray hair. Is never going to be able to have a pillbox, okay? Is never going to be able to sit at those school plays and go to those dance recitals. Is never going to have the opportunity to have a job that he can succeed in and be recognized for. He gave it all up. So that we could be free. So that we could understand what it is to vote in a nation. It's expensive. A group of Americans, teachers and tourists and seniors, made a trip to France one day. And included with them was Robert Whiting. He was 83 years old. And when he arrived in Paris, he found himself at the French uh, customs. And he was taking a few moments to get his passport out of his carry-on luggage. And the customs official said to him, Have you been to France before, monsieur? The customs officer asked this young man so pointedly. Robert admitted that he had been to France once before. And the customs agent said, Well, then you know that you have to have your passport ready when you come in country. And Robert turned to him and said, well, you know, the last time I was here, I didn't have to show it. <laughs> Impossible. Anytime Americans come here, they have to show their passport in France. And Robert thought for a few moments and looked hard at the customs agent. And he began to explain. He said, well, when I came ashore at, at Omaha Beach in 44 to liberate this country, I couldn't find a Frenchman around to show my passport to. <laughs> you know, how soon we forget, right? How soon we forget the sacrifice that men and women have made that we could be free. How soon do we forget what Christ did for us? In 1 John, the third chapter, verse 16, he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
Christ willingly laid down his life for me. With all the secret sins that I hold away, with all the negative and with all the scars that are there, Christ died for me. And he died for you. But there's something exceptional about God's love. There's something exceptional about this sacrificial love. Notice what it is. He says, no greater love is this that a man lay down his life for who? For his brother, right? For another. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. Jesus laid down his life for those of us that reject him. Jesus laid down his life for those that call him an infidel. Jesus laid down his life for those that want no part of him. Jesus laid down his life for those that call themselves agnostics. Jesus laid down his life for those that call themselves atheists. Jesus laid down his life for those that reject him and refuse him and disobey him and hate him and killed him. Jesus died for his enemies. Exceptional love. Powerful love. And he did it all for me. Because you see, there was a day that I said no to him. There was a day to say, well, I'll do it some other time. There was a day to say, well, I, I, I know I should, but maybe it'll be tomorrow. There was a day that I said no to the creator of all the universe. There was a day that I said that I wanted to hold on to my pain. I wanted to hold on to my anger. I wanted to hold on to my unforgiving spirit. I wanted to hold on to it and make it all mine and keep it to myself. Jesus said, if you do that, you'll never find true peace. If you do that, you'll never know what forgiveness is all about. If you do that, you will die and spend eternity in a place prepared for you. Those that reject him. Exceptional love. Just for you. Just for me question is this morning are you going to continue to reject him are you going to continue to say some other day some other time some other way I'll do it before I die I'll do it before I get sick I'll do it before something bad happens there's always tomorrow but there's not you say I'm a Christian I'm okay I'm on my way to heaven. Are you in the perfect will of God this morning? Are you in that place that you can receive the miracle of God in your life? Is sin overcoming you? Is sin got its hold upon you? Is it driving your life? Are you addicted? And you say, oh no, I'm not addicted. Where do you go on your computers, guys? What happens if I pull your computer up today? Now, I can't find all the hiding places, but I know people in here that can. And you know the amazing thing about all those hiding places? God knows them. He's got the password. 
He knows where you go. He knows what you look. Young people, what are you Googling? What are you doing in your life? I'm a Christian. I'm okay. But are you in the perfect will of God? This morning as we close, let me invite you. We don't do this a lot in this church. We're afraid of it because we're afraid of what? The obvious, that which is out there. We're afraid that somebody's going to talk about us. We're afraid somebody's going to say, oh, did you hear what so-and-so is doing? They already know, okay? They already know. You're not hiding anything. They know. If you're in pain, I invite you to come this morning. I invite you to, there's a reason that we have these steps. We used to call it an altar, okay? A place to come and pray. You may need to come and take James's hand. Say, pray with me. Help me through this. We have Chris, we have myself, we'll pray with you. If you're not a Christian today, if you're not sure of your salvation, today's the day to make it right. Don't leave here with any hope that you're going to make it to the end of the street because I know some drivers in this parking lot. Okay? You may not make it to the bottom of this hill. God can take you that fast. If you're a Christian, the question is, are you in the will of God? Has sin overcome you? Are you shackled down? You can't serve God because you're hooked in something that you shouldn't have in your life is your marriage so messed up sin has come in and destroyed all the joy and stole all the happiness out of it and you're in misery and you're in pain and you need an answer the answer is here at the foot of the cross it's not in the books it's not in the counseling. It's not anywhere but finding God's will for your life. The perfect will of God. Shall we pray? God, we come this morning. We know that you love us. But Father, we're holding on to the back of the pew saying, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to move. They're going to talk about me, Lord. But Lord, give me the strength to take that first step. Give me the strength to, to find my way to seek your will, to pray at the altar, to give of myself, to give that sacrificial love that you've given to me. Father, may I accept it this morning. Use this time, Father, that your will be done. For we ask it in Christ's name.